Welcome to the Personal Equity Podcast, where we discuss investing in yourself and building personal equity. We take a deep dive with our guests into their stories, careers, and lives from both a personal and financial perspective. I'm your host, Mike Troxel. Today, we'll be speaking with Ernest Owusu, who is a sales development leader at Sixth Sense. In our conversation, we covered family, fitness, and his transition from the NFL to sales. The links and information in the episode can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. Hi, Ernest. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to start with the present. If you can give listeners an idea of sort of where you are now and uh, what you're up to. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so again, Ernest Owusu. Um, I'm currently working at a tech company called Sixth Sense, uh, which basically we work in the account-based marketing space, selling to both sales and marketers. And my primary role over there is I lead a team, or I guess I head our North American uh, business development team. So a team that's basically doing all the cold calling, emailing, you know, social outreach, et cetera, just trying to generate meetings and pipeline with prospective customers. Uh, been with Sixth Sense for, I guess, a little over a year now. Um, but again, uh, kind of going through my, my progression, my career, but uh, start out start out as a professional athlete. And I've been doing this whole tech thing for the past five years. And now I'm currently working at Sixth Sense. And it's been an awesome, uh, awesome journey to this company. And also seeing what we've done so far has been a lot of work. It's been a lot of fun. That's great. And, and I don't want to... I don't want to age you, but you're uh, you're awfully young to have already had uh, two careers and and one retirement. Would you mind uh, talking a little bit about that and your transition? Yeah, sure thing. And I won't take <laughs> I won't take any offense to that. Not age me by any means. Um, so yeah, to your point, I you know I started out as a professional athlete. Uh, had a career for about maybe five, four, four to five years where I um, started out in the NFL, which is an awesome dream. You know, my entire life. Uh, I had this goal of becoming a professional athlete and uh, worked really hard, got the opportunity to go there. And it was a lot of fun, but uh, you know, it, which is the case with a lot of athletes, you know, usually your time ends before you're even ready for it to end. Um, that was kind of the case for me. And I knew that when I was done, I had to try and figure out my next move. And um, I started to realize that there were a lot of um, connections between both being an athlete as well as sales. So um, I jumped into this whole tech world where I've been here for, I guess, going on five years now. And, um, not the Asian because it is a completely different career, but, you know, through a lot of hard work, uh, talking to people, figuring out what my strengths and weaknesses were, I've been able to move on from, uh, I guess, more of like an entry-level sales role to now the point where I'm leading our North American sales development team. Awesome. And, and I have a ton of questions, but sort of one of the um, one of the questions I have for you is you are a defensive end. Is that right? Mm-hmm, that's correct. And I would imagine... I don't know, but I imagine a lot of the times the goal is to uh, maybe sack the quarterback. Um, is that right? That was my primary mission. The thing I followed every single day, and <laughs> well, I was always working for it. Yeah. So no matter how good you are, most defensive ends have a pretty high quote f- failure rate. Do you think that sort of ability to you know play after play? Um, you know, chase down the quarterback every single play and, and quote fail often translated well into your sales career. Yeah, there's absolutely no question with that. And if you think about the average football game, um, the average game has anywhere from about 50 to 70 snaps per side of the ball. So on defense, you only really have about 50 to 70 plays to 
really as a defensive end get just one sack is one sack is, is considered a great game. Um, but even within that, like there are fewer opportunities uh, because sometimes they're running the ball, sometimes they're passing the ball. So you won't always have that opportunity to get there. Um, and even when you do have the opportunity, uh, because so many different factors can come into play, even if you're like super prepared and you know exactly what kind of technique technique works and in the right position, sometimes you just don't get it. So, um, yeah, to your point, you have to have the ability to sit there and like be okay with the fact that I did my best. I wasn't able to get there. I was not able to achieve my goal, but I'm going to figure out exactly why I didn't do that and what I need to improve in the future and make sure I get there next time. And, uh, jumping into a sales career, that is exactly what it's like, especially, you know, when I started out, as an entry level salesperson where I was calling the companies, trying to get them to talk to our, our company and essentially do business with them. A lot of times he would yell at me, you know, scream me off the phone, hang up on me. Uh, there's a lot of rejection, but because I was so used to, uh, I guess having that hardened skin from constant failure as an athlete, it made it pretty easy because I was used to it. And that's something that's critical, especially as an early, early salesperson. Yeah. I think that's such a unique perspective. I mean, we look, when we think about like high failure, sports a lot of times we think of maybe baseball where it's like oh you can fail you know six seven eight out of ten times but you know a defensive end you know you're again you're failing you know 95 you know or more percent of the time so it's uh it seems like almost a perfect you know pre you know pre-career to sales 100 percent. and to your point like i said uh a great game as a defensive end is just one sack you can do anything else throughout the course of the game but if you get at least one sack uh, you'll be seen as having a productive game. And there are times where you have hundreds, not hundreds, you have tens and tens of opportunities to have them throw the ball and you just don't get there. Um, but you have to be okay with the fact that, you know, I didn't get there for whatever reason. And the reason why I'm going to get there in the future is I, I just kind of embrace that and keep the confidence and keep moving forward so I can achieve success later on. And I know to to succeed in sales, especially how quickly you have, you have to have, you know, some you know, something inside of you that, that um, pushes you to that level. Like looking back to a young age, did you have any sales type roles or, you know, any entrepreneurial experiences like lemonade stands or anything like that? Yeah. So I, I can't really say that I um, had any kind of sales type experiences in the past. I think I was very much focused on trying to find ways to get the things I wanted. And um, I remember like, when I turned 15, I was like super excited because then I was finally able to like have my own job because if I had my own job that I can get my own car and kind of have a little bit more financial freedom. Um, so I guess I, I kind of had, I built that like hardworking uh, mentality and collaboration with what I did from an athletic standpoint, but especially more like a, a sales standpoint uh, by just being able to have a job at high school and, and being like super excited for the fact that, like I can kind of control what I was going to get and when I would get it based on how hard I worked. And um, to your point, I think that's very much connected to what it's like being in sales. And so, you know, fast forwarding to today at Six Sense, what does a, you know, you're, you're leading a team, like what does a typical day look like for you? Are you still making phone calls or more so coaching and, and leading and managing people that are? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that like as people continue to rise in leadership, kind of trying to distance yourself from like more of the tactical plays and taking a little bit more of a strategic role is something that a lot of people initially ch are challenged with. Um, I personally like to like, obviously I'm handling the, this overall strategy of my team, but I love having the ability to kind of just get in the weeds and, and get back to calling and emailing people and doing all these different kind of social touches because um, it, at times leaders can sometimes get lost and, and not necessarily be 
as in the weeds or understanding of the current problems within your own, within your own team. So I will say I'm not very heavily involved in like doing all the calling like I did in the past, but you will find me doing some prospecting and, and trying to get meetings with people just because one, I like, I have true passion for it. I like it a lot. And, um, you know, second, I just want to make sure that I'm like truly understanding what's the best way to, to lead my team. But so that's the first thing. So I guess tactically, I'm always like trying to at least make sure that I'm abreast on current, on the current environment. But strategically on a day to day basis, it's just working cross departmentally. I think a lot of pipeline business development teams are very much in the middle between sales and marketing. So, um, it takes a lot of coordinating and, you know, people always talk about like sales and marketing alignment where the teams aren't getting along. Good pipeline teams, good business development leaders have the ability to truly understand the goals of each team and make sure that everyone is in sync for the overall company goal. And um, now that I'm in more of a strategic leader role, that's paramount to what I'm doing, just to make sure that all of our programs and systems are in place to make sure that all goals are hit, not just in my team. Yep. That, that's interesting. So you, so you do love making sales calls and you still do from time to time. It, um, you know, do you, is that a way to maybe build a different type of equity with your team? It almost makes me think of a, you know, a dad who, you know, still wants to show their kid that they can dunk a basketball. It's like, you know, just because you're <laughs> just, just because you're a sales manager, you know, it doesn't mean that you, uh, you, you can't still make a successful sales call. 100%. And I, I will say when, you know, I've been with Sixth Sense for a little over a year now. And one thing that I did want to show everyone is it's not enough for me to come in as a new manager, new leader, and just kind of say, Hey, everyone just do this. I got to show you it works first. So when I first started out at this company, a lot of what I was doing was like actually doing my own prospecting and showing people the methodology behind why I was doing it and why I was working. Just because like, I can't, you can't lead a team. Like it, it's not enough to just lead a team telling them what to do because you think it's the right thing or you're mandating them. I, I want them to actually believe it. And the best way for me to do that was to kind of just get in the weeds and show them examples and show them how I do it. And um, I made that a very important first step at my at my current company because I was a new manager and I need them to know that um, the things that I was doing worked and for them to basically trust it. That's great. And what, can you talk a little bit about the difference between some uh, some people's maybe perception of sales, right? So sometimes it's almost like a bad word, like you know you're you're smooth mm -hmm. or or taking advantage of, <laughs> but it's actually you know an incredible career. It takes a lot of you know education and empathy. And, and technique and sort of understanding of, you know, people and solutions and businesses. Can you sort of talk a little bit about the differences between the maybe perception some may have versus the reality? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's kind of funny how, um, and I wonder when it's not going to be like that. That's going to be the thing that I'm kind of curious about. But, you know, typically when people, when I tell them in sales, uh, the first thing I think of was like a used car salesman or like someone who's doing door door sales or, a lot of the like, um, I guess more aggressive selling types where you're just like, like pestering people because you want to, you want them to buy something. Um, nowadays sales has become so sophisticated, um, that it's not necessarily just like, I'm giving this product and you know nothing about it. I'm just going to kind of knock your door relentlessly until you convert. Uh, it's more of like a consultative sale. Like people have so much information nowadays and they can make so many more informed decisions before we even talk to them. That if you don't approach someone with like a more consultative approach, uh, one, they're not going to take you seriously. And two, they're going to probably give you something or tell you something that's an indication that like you don't actually know what you're talking about and you're wasting your time. So um, it's interesting to bring it up because that is very much how people used to look at sales. I think that people still do look like that in some regards, but the reality is sales nowadays um, is very consultative. 
And it's a, it's a very strategic role and under many different environments where, um, like you have to really understand, like, not just your product, but also, like, what the people you're selling to care about and, like, what's the best way to provide value to them. If you don't have that, then, um, it's going to be really challenging. So some of the, the I guess the, the personas that people think about in the past of like that super smooth, like, pestering person who's just trying to get a deal and not really caring what the person, um, that doesn't necessarily work as much anymore because, um, you know, buyers have changed and they're a lot more informed. So some of those like relationship tactics that exist in the past aren't quite as effective as they are nowadays. Well, hey, I, I totally feel your pain. I mean, I'm in a similar industry where there's, you know, oftentimes a, a, a negative association, um, right? So we'll, it's sort of up to us to slowly change the, the stigma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've had a like really fast growth period during your first five years in your career outside of sort of, um, you know, hustle and smarts and willpower. Are there any resources or people that sort of helped you get to where you are today and where you're going? Yeah, sure thing. So I definitely do want to say, and not to discount by any means, I did work really hard and that, that definitely had a contributing factor, but it's, it's one of those things where you got to work smart. Like don't just work hard, work smart as well. And one thing that I was super focused on as I was kind of growing my career, getting from like an entry level role to like leading a North American team was there are people out there that have done this job and have done it really well. I had to find and figure out I did it. That's first and foremost. So um, I can't necessarily say I had the strongest network when I first tr- transitioned careers into sales because I knew nothing about sales when I started or even anyone really in it. Um, but I will say I did make a conscious effort to proactively reach out to people who just based upon like what I heard in the industry or I saw on LinkedIn or saw on podcasts or whatever it was, appeared to have a really strong knowledge base around how to do the, the job really well. And I just like literally, I took everything they said and wrote it down and implemented it on my own. So that was first and foremost. And then second off, uh, as a salesperson, just staying on top of books of just podcasts of sales leaders trying to figure out philosophy, tactics, and just implementing it. Because, um, again, and not to, to kind of move away from the whole thing of hard work, but, again, people, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. With so many different things throughout our lives, people will actually have, they've done it before, and they can guide you very clearly on how you can do it. All you have to do is just basically look out there and ask. And sometimes it might be hard to find those people. Um, LinkedIn is a great resource. Uh, podcasts, forums, books are good places to kind of, like, find those people and reach out to them proactively. But again, most of us don't have to reinvent the wheel. We choose to because we don't, we don't talk to people. But one thing that, that helped me the most as I kind of had that speedy growth was I'm always talking to people and I still do it now. I'm never, I'm never going to be satisfied with where I am. Um, I always want to continue to learn. And uh, that's been a huge thing that helped me grow really quickly. Yeah. I love that you said that. And yeah, for anybody listening, I can attest to some of the hard work. I mean, when I was getting to know you, Ernest, I believe you were, you know, those are the days when you were getting on the BART train at some ungodly hour, like 4.30 in the morning. Um, it it, it might've been, it might've been the first train of the day from, yeah. from the East Bay into San Francisco. So um, yeah, yeah. it was p- puzzling from the outside, but then you see the success and, you know, a lot of times it's, um, you know, it's not surprising, right? Yeah, exactly. I will say, I mean, I, I was getting up super early to your point where I is the first train into the city. I would take it. But I will also will say I haven't lost sight of that just because I'm in management now. And um, like it's a little bit easier to get away with that. I still hold myself to uh, that discipline because it's what helped me get here. So why would I change it? 
Amen. And so you mentioned a couple, uh, you mentioned books or sales leaders or podcasts or forums. Are there any um, particular resources you found helpful? Sure. So what I, kind of how I started doing it is, again, I think LinkedIn is a phenomenal resource, um, but I just kind of started at the top. Like I went on LinkedIn and looked at this guy named John Barrows. John Barrows is probably one of the industry leaders of all kinds of sales around best practices that people should follow to be great sales leaders. And then once I started seeing his posts and, and reading how others were engaging with him, I started paying attention to the people who were kind of saying similar things or adding color to what he was saying. And I started following them and just started reaching out to them, asking them questions. So uh, from a networking standpoint, like I found the person at the top, slowly figured out who was kind of not quite in the same level as them, but still had similar knowledges. And I started asking them questions and using that as a way to ask other people questions. And that's what helped for me. Um, in terms of podcasts, like there are a lot of great podcasts out there. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, I feel like nowadays there, there are a lot more than they were in the past, but um, one that helped me out a lot, especially as an early salesperson was uh, Sales Hacker or the SDR Chronicles. Those are very particular of just like selling strategies and management strategies as well as like tactically as an SDR or BDR would make you effective. Um, and also books. I, you know, it, to your point, you know, Mike, around what I used to do early on in my career when I was taking those trains really early. Uh, I love to read. I think, you know, people will say readers are leaders or leaders are readers. Um, but I'm conscious of the fact that, you know, I don't always have time to do that. So I've really doubled down on audible, on audible and audiobooks. Um, and that's just a super easy way for me, especially during commute, which, you know, obviously we don't have right now. Um, but for me to kind of just make sure I'm staying on top of, of different ways to learn and that helped me out a lot too. I love that you mentioned John Barrows. I, um, you know, he mostly, I'm familiar with John and he is primarily focused on folks in your um, line of work. But, you know, I had a couple of friends that turned me on to him. And again, he, it doesn't totally apply to what I'm doing, but I found um, some of his content very, very interesting. I do pay attention to him. Um, he's very thoughtful. And going back a little bit where sales can sometimes be, uh, a bad word or I have a negative connotation. He's seems to be a major champion of, you know, the good guys or the, the good people in, in sales. And um, you may be more familiar than, than myself, but I think he even came out with um, a book that he wrote with his daughter um, trying to teach, <laughs> trying to teach, like yeah. uh, trying to teach kids that, Hey, sales is okay. It's a good, good profession. Uh, I actually just looked it up. It's called I Want to Be in Sales When I Grow Up. <laughs> it, it, it's actually funny that you mentioned that. Um, so I'm not sure if we mentioned this earlier, but uh, my wife and I, we just had triplets. So uh, a new father over here and one of our, our current clients uh, actually gifted that book to me. So uh, our kids are still pretty young. I haven't had a chance to raise them, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it because I do want them to know that their daddy isn't some like, Slimy, greasy salesperson, <laughs> what kind of similar to whatever else is <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, that's awesome. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad you mentioned John because he's the only one. If you mentioned anybody else, I would have no idea who they are, but, but he's the, uh, he's the one that I would know. So obviously, it's not all always smooth sailing. Uh, well, I guess time out. Congratulations on the triplets, obviously, and, and I, I want to. Uh, Thank you. I do want to touch on that a, a, a little bit later, how that's how that has been. Um, you know, on, on from my eyes, you've had a you know a great uh, stretch of you know growth or success or achievement or whatever you want to call it. But I'm sure there have been some 
tough periods or low points or hurdles. Would you mind you know, touching on that at all? Yeah, sure. So I can say um, throughout the course of my tech career, um, there have been challenges. You know, you've seen people get laid off, like opportunities for you to like I've had like my first quarter as a direct seller as well as a BDR. I didn't hit my number. Um, so those are always really challenging times, especially uncertain times. I think a lot of people are now uh, with, with everything going on with COVID are, you know, people a little bit uh, a little nervous or apprehensive about maybe even their job security. So that kind of stuff always does exist. And um, what I've always focused on is like, you know, sometimes you just can't control things. So the one thing I can control is at least the way I think. And I'm not going to allow external circumstances that, you know, again, I may or may not be able to completely control impacts like how I can control what I can control. Um, but in addition to that, whenever I failed, which, you know, again, this is something that I've, I've pulled back from football. Um, whenever I failed, I've been very focused on like, first off, failure is an awesome thing. You always see people say that, but like the one thing I fear is not knowing or, or not having the ability to improve what I'm doing. Because if you do that, you hit your ceiling and there's no more potential for you. So I always welcome failure. I don't want to just completely lose every time, but I welcome it. And the reason why I welcome it is because I know it presents opportunity for me to grow. And every single time, whether it's like that one quarter where I didn't hit my number, there's a reason for it. And I'm excited to learn out what, learn what it is because I will figure out a way to never let that happen again. Um, so, you know, in sales, it's pretty objective. Like you're going to fail sometimes. And I, I don't know of any salesperson who's hit their numbers every single quarter for as long as they've been in sales. Um, but when those times do present themselves, I, I, I buckle down and I focus on the fact that I, I should be super excited on on, the, on having the ability to take a look at what I did and improve on it, and that's kind of how I got through that. And um, yeah, it's it's more so of that of those two things of just like control what you can control because sometimes you just can't control external factors. But then when you do fail, uh, be very cautious on why you failed and get excited to improve it. So you have an amazing mindset, and for as long as I've known you, you have. So I and I, the people I know that have a similar mindset. It, that doesn't necessarily happen by by accident, and you know it's very intentional. So where 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 does that come from? Yeah, honestly, I think to what we talked about earlier, you know, being a football player, um, I failed so many times in football, but I'm still standing. I failed like I remember even like my my freshman year of high school. I played like two minutes. Like I never played my freshman year, um, but I was conscious of like I love football. I know I can improve. I'm trying to find a way to at least make JV the next year. And I did that and, I, and it just kept growing from there. So um, being put in an environment where you have to fail constantly, but also trying to dig deep and have the confidence to keep going, uh, the more wins you get off of when that does happen, it makes it a lot easier for you to be excited for uh, opportunities to fail. And, and again, that's, that's that connection between sales and athletics that have been really helpful for me and kind of why whenever I do fail, uh, to your point, it is very intentional. I get, I get excited about it. And it's because like I failed so many times that um, I just know there's a way for me to improve upon it when when I do fail. And, and I did miss an opportunity there when you when you mentioned you were a big fan of reading uh, and Audible. Uh, if you had to pick, if I was getting started in sales today, and you had, you had to pick a book to to gift me. Uh, what would that be? Okay, so there are two books. Um, if you're focused on prospecting, as in like getting meetings with people doing LinkedIn outreach, emailing. There's a book called Fanatical Prospecting, which every single person on my team for, I guess, as long as I've been managing these teams, that's like the first thing you do before you even start the company. Like I want everyone to read it because the fundamentals they teach in that book are so foundational to just overall prospecting that it's like our Bible, if you want to say. 
And then the second one, and this kind of goes back to the adjustment of philosophy around how salespeople are just like your smooth relationship builders. Uh, but there's, there's this book called The Challenger Sale, which basically has three, three main principles of teaching people about a problem that they didn't know they have, tailoring it towards them, and then taking control of the conversation. But um, in any kind of sale that's, that's foundational, uh, whether it's like a high-tech sale or, you know, you're even a car salesman, whatever it may be, um, it's, they're all very much applicable. And then last but not least, one third one, again, uh, three books. The last one, which I think is really strong, is this book called Never Split the Difference which has like very tangible tactical um, negotiation tactics you can use. And you can, and you don't necessarily have to be negotiating with someone, but it teach you, teaches you the, psycho, the psychology behind uh, why people make decisions and kind of what pushes them in certain directions. And um, I've used the, the tactics in that book for a long period of time. It's been really helpful. That, that's uh that's great and you're not the first person that's recommended that to me and, and i don't know why or, or what it is but it seems like for me to read for a book to shoot up on my reading list right because we all have reading lists that are maybe a hundred books long uh i need it it needs to be recommended to me a number of times so i think that's uh maybe the second one on the podcast and maybe third overall that's mentioned that never split the difference book so it's uh i think chris voss is the author right and he, he was a like a hostage negotiator or something. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. And again, I would highly encourage anyone in like, so I've used it for sales, but it's just really good for handling conversations. Um, you'll, you'll learn a lot of things in there. And, and to your point, Chris was a former FBI agent hostage negotiator and it's, it's really powerful. And I will say, I don't know how old the book is, but um, the, the thought process in it is, is tried and true and it's still very effective for myself as well as the teams that I've managed. So talk a little bit about sort of your your support system. You know, I, I I know you hold your team near and dear to your heart. I also know you hold your other team, your your family, your number, your number one team, very near and dear to your heart. Sort of talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that and sort of your um you know your, your your tribe. Just getting to know you, that seems very you know talking to you for one hour. You know that that's a very very important thing to you, and and everybody says that, but um, it seems a little more apparent with you. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the most important thing is my direct family. Um, my direct family impacts all the decisions I make before anything else. Um, it's kind of like one of those things, like your family's your foundation. If your foundation is weak, then how can you expect any other part of your life to, to thrive? So, you know, my wife, Megan, as well as my three kids, uh, that's always, no matter what, going to be the priority. If there's ever any circumstance or any great opportunity or whatever it may be that's going to even remotely jeopardize like my time with my family and how well we're doing i'll never even for a second glimpse at it um so that's first and foremost that's always the most important thing to me and the second thing is my team um like not just my entire company but my direct team that i manage um we're a very tight-knit group and i've always had like you know because i came from athletics and and your team is that's your squad that's you that's how you achieve your goals and you go through ups and downs and the only way that you can kind of get through that is if you're super close and um, through all teams that I manage, that that's always been foundational. I think it's tough when you're managing entry-level salespeople because typically they're not on your team for more than two years. So you're going to have to watch them graduate and, and bring on new people at a relatively high rate. But when you're on my team or even once you graduate, um, you're like family to us. And, and we actually, interestingly, you kind of bring that up. Um, at my company, we have our, our company value, uh, which is an acronym of family. And family stands for fun, accountability, mindfulness, integrity, love, yes. And every single week, without fail, 
Um, my team and I, when we go through our forecast and try and predict where we're going to be at the end of the week, before you anything throughout the course of the week, the first thing we do is talk about family. So it's who is it on your team that best exemplified our family culture? Because I, I want to establish that on a weekly basis. So, uh, and the whole point of me bringing that up is because, yes, I do have my main support here with uh, my wife and my kids, and that trumps everything else. But um, you know, in my work life, uh, my family culture is uh, just as important when uh, it comes to taking care of them. That's amazing. And so we've, uh, I haven't asked you directly, but it's sort of come up throughout the conversation about, you know, investments you make in yourself to sort of improve. And we've talked about, you know, family, mindset, books. Um, are there any other ways that you sort of intentionally allocate you know, time, money, resources towards yourself to just become a better you? Yeah, sure. So definitely mentally. Um, I, I'm the person who I, I, and I will say, again, I just have a new family, so I've been struggling with this really hard. Um, I, I have to work out. That's like my safe space. That's where I, I feel really good. I feel strong. I feel happy. It's, it's a, a way for me not just to take care of myself physically, but also mentally. And I think that everyone in their own way has something like that, whether it's a hobby or uh, just going on walks. But um, you have to have that one place where you can kind of just separate from like all the hustle and bustle of your work and all those different stresses you're going through and just focus on yourself and just make yourself feel better. And for me, that's working out. So a really strong way that I invest myself is mentally, I guess, which ties in perfectly to physically, but um, mentally just finding time to work out and just kind of holding myself to that because um, you'll, you'll often see that if you're not taking care of the head first and everything else doesn't really follow. And I'm, I know that. So I just try my best to make a top priority, which I will say has been tough with, with three newborns, but <laughs> I'm finding ways to make it work here and there. You have the ultimate excuse. And I, and I couldn't agree more. And, and it's taken, uh, the last 12 months to sort of remind me of that, where when you take care of yourself physically, it does really help at least my mental health and it, and it sounds like yours as well, where um, when, when you think of mental health, you might think of something else, um, but something about getting in the, in the weight room and, and throwing some, um, you know, a couple of pounds around uh, if you're talking about me, um, it just, it, it makes me feel, feel a lot better mentally. That could not agree anymore. Completely agree. So if um, I guess one, one thing I'm curious about is, in sales or any any roles um, that are you know have some commission orientation to it is the the spending mindset like for example um, you know there could be a book or a course where some where you were thinking about purchasing and where somebody else might uh, might, might hesitate to purchase or you know pay a hundred dollars for XYZ um, you know for for yourself you know, the ROI on that could be massive, right? Like for example, one of those books you mentioned, right? Spend $12 for the book. Well, if that helps you or your team get a few extra sales over the next 12 months, I mean, it's paid for that book 100x over. You know, do you ever think about that when you're sort of making purchases or sort of allocating time or resources towards a, um, you know, a career focused investment? Yeah, 100%. And that actually brings up a great point. So especially with entry-level sales roles, or even in sales in particular, um, you're only as effective as you are as efficient. So like, I'm always conscious about like, am I spending, like, 
when I spend this time, what's going to happen? When I spend this money, what's going to happen? So even with the simple, small things of buying a certain sales book, like I'm thinking, like, okay, shoot, I'm buying it today. Like, how long am I going to be able to implement this? Like, how much time is it going to take me to read this? Um, like, once I start reading it, how quickly can I see a return on it? So um, salespeople are typically very conscious of, like, what they put in. I'm sorry, of what they, like, put out in terms of what's going to provide them. And uh, whether it's a book or even a new monitor, like just even simply a new monitor. I know if I have two monitors instead of three, it will allow me to work just an hour more per day at the same level, at the same level of high quality. If I can work an hour more per day, then, you know, that's five hours per week, which is 20 hours per month, which means I can make more sales. So uh, I'm very conscious of that with a lot of the things I do, but uh, in particular, making any kind of investment because I want to make sure that I'm going to get the return on it for the intended goal. Exactly. I think that monitor example is great. And, and it does take some use to getting into that mindset, right? I mean, you can look at a monitor and based on your example, it doesn't matter how much that monitor costs, right? If it costs $2,000, if it really allows you to work one hour extra per day more efficiently and get that many more sales, even if it, again, if, even if it costs $1,000, you're going to pay for it, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100x over. So it's, um, you know, I think it, it is tough sometimes to get into that that mindset of what the return is going to be. 100%. And one thing that we actually do, uh, because I think people typically, when they first start out in like early entry-level entry level sales roles, they kind of struggle with building the confidence to call. Um, once people start getting good at it, we actually have to calculate and say, okay, if when I call X amount of people, typically this is how many people turn into business. So I know that like each call that I make, I'm making this much money based upon my commission. So like it's just really important to kind of know that like with every investment that you're making, like there's a high, as long as you understand the investment and kind of know what you're trying to get out of it, um, trying to get a sense of like what you're going to get out of it and kind of the, the overall impact is something that's a huge driver for what um, you can do to kind of push you toward any path. But again, huge, huge thing that we're always focused on, especially myself. Switching gears uh, a little bit. So, you know, becoming a parent three times over in the past uh, several months. What what has that been like for you? And, and what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, well, not to mention that. So they were born like a week or two after people really first started to realize that, you know, COVID was going to be an issue. So it, it was pretty stressful going to the hospital, leaving the hospital the whole nine yards. Um, but it's been awesome. I, I feel like a huge silver lining is the fact that, you know, we're all in this kind of new world right now where uh, if we do have the opportunity to work remotely, we are working remotely. Um, but it's been a huge blessing just to literally see them every day. Like I know that, you know, even after you and I are done talking right now, if I have an extra five or 10 minutes in between meetings or something like that, I can just go over there and just pick up my kids and uh, just watching them grow and getting the opportunity to spend time with them. And um, it's something that I've always wanted. Like, it's, you know, with my wife and I, we always made a goal to eventually become parents and grow a family. But um, seeing them every day gets me super excited, but also gives me like, a huge sense of responsibility, uh, especially in a sales role, I'll say, because you, in sales, you can control much money you make. It's like every single time I'm, I'm thinking about uh, my intended results and, and where I want to go, it's very much with them in mind of like, if I can do this, I know that they're going to get this in this given time. So uh, it's definitely an added layer to uh, my motivation on a daily basis. but I'm just so happy and thankful to have them and uh, just to watch them grow. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, you make a good good point. It's almost that extra motivation now because you you, uh, you know daddy can't be slacking off. You know, you you walk into the, <laughs> the other room and you have uh, you have you have 
three beautiful kids, uh, you know, looking up to you. You're the, uh, you know, you're, you're 50% of their uh, role, mo- role models. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think about that again, almost every day, just because I want to make sure I'm providing for them as much as I possibly can, but it's been cool though. I love it. Yep. And so sort of stick, sticking on, on the family front, you know, on, on one end, um, there's, you know, Ernest, a for, you know, for, former NFL player, former Division One football player, high-powered sales professional. But again, you're, um, I know how deeply you care about um, your, you know, your better half, your spouse, and, and your kids. You know, you could almost be, uh, you do have a softer uh, uh, side to you. So I, I don't want to, I don't want that to get lost in this. Yeah, definitely so. It's- like I said, they are always, and they will always, no matter what, they're always number one. Um, and, you know, to the point you make, you know, my wife and I were like a brick, like nothing's going to tear us apart. Nothing's going to get in our way. And um, like we're deeply committed to each other throughout everything. And like, yeah, like I, I know I work really hard and like I'm super focused on my career and like I have all these ambitious goals, but it's for my family and it's for, it's just to make sure that they're all happy and that they're all taken care of. And, um, I just, you know, my whole life's goal, it's not, I wouldn't say my entire life goal was to be a dad, but it's been probably one of the most important things, uh, that I've always been like wanting for and, and looking out for. And, um, everything I do right now is for my family and that's never, ever going to go away. And I just, I feel really lucky and blessed to, uh, have awesome, first off an awesome wife who is like a true partner with me throughout the, throughout the course of my life. Um, but also again to have my new family and uh, just to be that role model for them and to watch them grow and uh, hopefully do my best to make them really good people for the future. Yep, now, not not your kids, but I can absolutely attest um, to your you know your feeling for, for Megan and, and for your family. I mean, it's uh, and I hope you take it as a compliment. You know, a lot, a lot of people say family's a priority, but you know, their actions speak louder than words. And, uh, and, and for you, I, I, I know that's the truth. So ju- jumping back a little bit, um, and maybe family would be the easy answer to this since you have young triplets, but if I gave you money and time off today, we'll call it, you know, a month off and, and you'd get compensated for it. Is there a way that you would allocate that money or time towards making investments in yourself? Again, this could be professional or not. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, family would be the easy answer, so I'll try really hard, even though that would be what I would do. I'd probably uh, find a way to figure out what we need and to, like, really double down and focus on that. I think even just even on that note, one thing that I think I've always, like, aspired for is to, to work at, because I work primarily in, like, startups in the software space. I've always wanted to have the opportunity to work at an early-stage company, watch them grow to the point where they either IPO or exit, and have the opportunity to just take like six, seven months off where I'm, st- I'm still getting the residual effects. I get some kind of payout, but I can spend time with my family. So I guess that scenario has always been a dream of mine. And I would just love to kind of really just without any true work responsibilities provide for my family and spend as much time as possible. Um, but I think if I'm not going to take the family route um, and I did have time off with a lot of money, um, I, I just double down on myself. Um, you know, I'd hone into my skills. And it's kind of similar to what I did before I even started working at Sixth Sense. Um, I, you know, and granted, I wasn't getting paid because I switched over to Sixth Sense, but um, I just like really sat down and took a hard look at everything that I was doing and what I need to, needed to do to improve. And that was my main focus. So um, first off, I guess physically, like <laughs> make sure I'm in the best possible shape that I can be in. 
Um, whether that requires a lot of money or not, I just put myself in the best physical shape. And then after that, if it's not family again, uh, just like really read every book, every blog, every podcast, talk to as many people as possible, just learn, learn, learn as much as I can. Um, just so that when I do get the next opportunity where I am kind of in a situation where I need to provide for my family and I'm in a working environment, that I'm even better than I was when I left. I love it. So we'll touch on physical health uh, one more time. We can jump into our final questions here. You know, during this time of COVID, how have you been uh, staying in physical shape? Is it you know just at home sort of body weight stuff, or do you do you have any weights at home? Yeah, sure. So I actually got lucky. Um, for I guess when we got married, someone gifted us like these Bowflex dumbbells, which I've gotten really creative with, and uh, I also have a bench too. So. I'm pretty lucky that I can just kind of step outside and just do a quick workout and like a pretty good workout too. Um, but also because we have kids and again, characters in my family, uh, my wife and I go on walks pretty regularly just because um, I want to spend time with them and just get some time to relax. So um, physically that's been helpful. I think that some people aren't necessarily in that position because uh, they don't have at home weights or they were uh, part of a gym membership, but um, at least getting outside to walk and run is really helpful. That's great. Well, we have, we have uh, some equipment, at our place as well. So if you ever get tired of the Bowflex and you want to do some bartering, uh, we could, uh, you know, I'm sure we can send something your way. I would love that. <laughs> so um, as far as content goes, but outside of career oriented, you know, I know you have some other other interests. Are there, uh, is there any interesting sort of content you're consuming for fun? Um, you know, TV, any Netflix, any TV shows, any books, or, or is there no time for that right now? Yeah. So, I mean, in, in, interestingly enough, and by no means do I claim to be an expert, but um, because there's a lot going on right now, especially with COVID, I'm just curious to learn about like our, our vaccine adoption process. Um, so there have been a couple of documentaries I watched on Netflix, reading blogs, reading news articles. Um, I, I'm just, one thing about myself that I kind of think has helped me a lot is I'm just I feel like I'm just pretty, pretty naturally curious about things. Um, and because this is so applicable to everything going on right now, I've just been like really immersing myself in and, and following people on Twitter, reading blogs, watching um, uh, documentaries, et cetera. And it's been interesting. I think I'm learning a lot. Obviously, it's very applicable to what we're going through right now. But um, I'd say that's my main focus. Um, I guess <laughs> not to be expected, I mean, to be expected, but aside from that, um, you know, sports is obviously something that I'm very well versed in, in the past. So I uh, just always love reading books about like great like athletes in the past or um, like watching documentaries or things like that. And our, uh, rumor has it you're a big fan of The Office. Is that is that true? <laughs> yes, it is. We, my wife and I have probably watched the entire series at least three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to let you off the hook there. <laughs> so, yeah, so with this, love <laughs> this with uh next question you have some skin in the game now with, with the young ones um if you had to design a course um for your kids at any age what would the course be and why yeah so i think and i don't really know i would have to do a lot of learning about this but um i'm a huge like believer in the importance of high emotional intelligence and i think that like some people are kind of uh, under the assumption that it's learned or it's it's your act, you're born with it. Uh, I would love to help my children develop courses on like how to interact with people and like kind of what gets people to think and what I'm sorry, what gets people to uh, to, to think a little bit differently and kind of what gets them to tick. Um, so some kind of course on the importance of emotional intelligence and kind of owning your emotions 
and kind of like regulating them well, I think is really important. I think that um, like it's interesting because, you know, we all kind of forget that a lot of the reasons why we make our decisions are purely off of emotions. Uh, some people are a lot more um, objective and can remove them at times, but uh, it's just a really important skill to master. And maybe that's just my sales side. I'm not sure. Uh, but just a really important skill to master, and I'd love to be able to create a course and just really educate my children on the importance of emotions and uh, like why you should care about them. Well, when you're finished designing the course, I would I would love to take it if there's no uh, age limit on it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're uh, you're on a walk with Megan. You guys cannot talk. You are forced to listen to me have a conversation with somebody. Is there uh, any sort of uh, anybody out there that you would love to listen to me interview? Um, honestly, I would probably have to say her mom. Um, and the reason why I say that is, um, she's an awesome, awesome go-getter from starting multiple businesses to running in college. Um, so I just really respect her. She is a really hard worker. She's, um, like talented, a lot of fronts. And I think that she, like both Megan and I have learned a lot from her in, in our past. So, um, and, and sorry, from her past. So I think she'd be a really cool person just to kind of like learn about her history and how and why she's attacked certain things. That's a, that's a great answer. I'll have to put her on my hit list. I know, I know Megan is Megan's on, on the list. I'll have to add your, your mother-in-law, uh, as well. And I, and I know you're not just sucking up, even though, uh, you know, maybe some listeners, uh, would think that I know you're not. Yeah. <laughs> So flipping the script a little bit, uh, if you had an hour of somebody's time, past or present, is there anybody you would like to have a conversation with or pick their brain? Yeah. So this might seem like an an odd answer, but easily, no questions asked, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And and the reason why I say that is because if you look at the course of his life, coming, you know, he was an immigrant had nothing on his back and just he absolutely dominated three different careers right so he was he was an olympic bodybuilder he was a world blockbuster world famous blockbusting actor as well as a governor of of one of the the biggest states in the country um and that stuff doesn't happen by accident and i think people like they think about him especially because he's an actor and you know he does some funny roles he's an action hero he's a bodybuilder that like he's just Arnold Schwarzenegger but like people don't do that like to to have achieved that level of success on three completely different playing fields shows a lot about who he is and kind of how he thinks and how he attacks things and i would just love to learn his mentality how he's how he's grown everything there's just so much you can learn from him that's a great answer and i think i listened to an interview with him a few years ago and i was blown away because i learned some of that and you're totally right when we when we hear his name we think of you know big strong guy who was in some movies and somehow got elected as governor right but then you you listen to him and in his story it's like wow this guy is incredibly talented like you said succeeded you know incredibly in three different careers and and i believe and maybe you know this i believe that he like became a millionaire before he was a movie star. I mean, he was, um, mm-hmm. you know, through his own you know business ventures and uh, and I think real estate uh, involvement. So he's a super savvy guy, and I, I would love to tune in, into that. So maybe, uh, maybe I can convince you one day to start your own podcast. <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. And I know you're um, you are 
you know, you do exist in some places online and, and I couldn't believe it. But right before this call, I realized that I am not even connected with you on LinkedIn, despite being connected <laughs> on some other social medias. Um, so if someone is listening to this, where's the best place they can find you or get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So I think the two best places are one Twitter. Um, interestingly enough, you think of the, the name Ernest Wusu and think that it's really uncommon. There are actually a lot of Ernest Wusus. So my Twitter handle is the Ernest Wusu, E R N E S T O W U S U. And then on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me just by searching uh, Ernest Wusu, and I work at a company called Success. Beautiful. And the Ernest Wusu. So is that? Are there two E's in the beginning there, or is it just one E? There are two. That's great. Um, any parting thoughts for our audience? No, not really. I mean, I think that, that I actually will say a couple of things. Um, you know, having, you know, been a professional, professional athlete and kind of getting into a different career. Um, I think a lot of people struggle at times with like career transitions and trying to find make things work. Or if you're ever in like a low part of your career, just know that um, there is a formula for your success, whether it's at that company or in a different role or even a different industry altogether. Um, and what's helped me be effective and kind of grow at the rate I have is I've always been very conscious of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And then when I'm really good at something, I make that my strength. Like one thing that was really cool about being a professional athlete was like all these Hall of Famers that I, that I worked with as, as coworkers, if you want to call it. Um, they all were very conscious of what they're good at and they made themselves so much better at that than anything else that their competition just couldn't touch them. So. Every one of us has the ability to kind of do that in some different way. And if you, and if, even if it's not as strong as you'd like it to be, you can make it even stronger. And I would just encourage everyone to kind of really know their strengths and kind of what helps them be successful, hone into it and just find where the path is and what leads you in that direction so you can take advantage of it. That's great advice. Well, Ernest, it was, it was great chatting with you. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I'm looking forward to the release. I think people are going to enjoy this. Awesome. Me too. Thanks again for listening to today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the show notes and links can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave a review. Reviews help the show get noticed. The best places to leave a rating or a review are iTunes or Spotify. Mike Troxel owns Modern Financial Planning. All opinions expressed by Mike or guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of modern financial planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.